Hello, and welcome to this episode of Conversations with Mark Becker, a podcast produced by Georgia State University. You can find this episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play, as well as watch it on YouTube. In this and future podcasts, I sit down with leaders who are shaping the future of higher education in America, as well as beyond. We'll dive into the challenges and opportunities facing higher education and explore policies and practices that show promise of a brighter future. Hope you will find these conversations stimulating and thought-provoking, and if you do, please subscribe so that you will not miss future episodes. Again, I'm your host, Georgia State President Mark Becker, and today my guest is Dr. Michael Crow, the President of Arizona State University. Welcome to Atlanta, Michael. Happy to be here. Well, Michael, you've um, you got a lot going on in, in Tempe at Arizona State, but you've, you've been in the role of president there for 17 years, and you've been working um, quite diligently and I'd say uh, pretty much nonstop on creating what you call the New American University. Uh, 17 years is a long time. So if this were a three-act play, how would you describe the stages that have gotten to where you are today? And, we'll, and then we'll dive into greater depth about where you are today. Well, I mean, the first stage was to um, make a uh, proposal to the faculty that uh, we're more than just a simple state-funded bureaucracy delivering educational services after some political expression of resources from the legislature, that in fact we're, we have a, a moral duty in our democracy to be above all that, to help the democracy to be successful. So the first uh, part of the three-act play was to make a proposal for, the, for a university of high egalitarian access and unbelievable academic excellence right. in the same institution, and then move that proposal forward with each of its elements. The second act uh, which we are uh, still in, uh, is the notion then of, okay, well, it's one thing to come up with an idea. It's another thing to actually do it. So now we have every change that's been necessary, the change of faculty culture, the change of university culture, the change of design, the change of framing and frameworks, the change of responsibility, the acceptance of the why we're here, and then the notion that the university is actually measuring its success against egalitarian access, mm -hmm. against uh, academic excellence. And then the third act is uh, to achieve something that's never been achieved before, uh, which is can you build a research university equal to MIT, equal to Oxford or Cambridge or Harvard or uh, any of the other great uh, tremendous research universities, which along the way became something other than egalitarian, they became highly selective. Can you build one of those and make it work equally well for every student that enrolls? Now, now, uh, at Georgia State, you've made tremendous progress uh, toward that, and we learn a lot from you guys. Uh, but we haven't pulled that off yet. And so I'm interested in the notion that the teaching and learning and discovery enterprise that we call Arizona State University actually is capable of taking any qualified student from any family, any background, any income level, any heritage, whatever, and moving them into a research-intensive environment and successfully transiting them through that environment and pr producing a master learner. And then at the same time, like you do at Georgia State also, creating every pathway possible for those that might not be qualified to get them qualified to go into that, into that enterprise. And so the third act is to basically prove that point. Now, we're 80% we're of the way there, but not 100%. Yeah, you, yeah you've, you've made tremendous progress. You know, I like to refer to this as the goal is to become elite without being elitist. I mean, doing the world-class research, outstanding education, but without basically shutting out most of society. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, so um, so you, you mentioned design. Now, 
you know, one of the things I most remember when um, you were getting started in this work, and I was watching from afar, we didn't mm -hmm. know each other back then, mm -hmm. was really the issue of design of the university itself, the academic design. Mm -hmm. So could you say more about how you went out looking at schools, colleges, and designing the academic structure of the institution, again, you know, to your point, to being of service, to being uh, right. egalitarian. Well, so the first thing that we did was we said that the university existed principally for the students. We said that we'll measure our success based off of uh, inclusion and student success, mm -hmm. but also that if we hold ourselves to the structure of the institutions that attain greatness by tradition, then we're not going to get there because right. we're taking a separate pathway. That then means then that even the academic design itself has to be considered and so uh, universities are, by nature, using a technical organizational theory term, uh, conserver organizations. They are uh, status quo maintainers. They are using a big fancy word. They're filiopietistic. They adore filiopietistic. Yeah, they, 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 they adore tradition. Yep. Once you get people to understand that tradition is not the path to democratic success, uh, design and adaptation is, then you free faculty members' minds to think that they can now be actual intellectual architects, intellectual architects of their departments, their schools, their programs. And so we've built more than 30 new transdisciplinary schools. We've uh, eliminated the traditional structures 80 times, 80 mm -hmm. different times throughout the institution, all with faculty buy-in, all with faculty uh, consensus, not unanimous uh, view, but consensus view. And most of those have gone uh, pretty well. Um, New programs, uh, so for instance, in engineering, we eliminated all of our 10-plus engineering departments, created Grand Challenge Engineering Schools, grew engineering from 8,000 students to 18,000 students, uh, greatly enhancing diversity and greatly enhancing success, 68% freshman retention to 90% freshman retention in engineering, all from rethinking design and empowering faculty. So as you think about these grand challenges, what just give our listeners, our viewers, some examples of the kinds of grand challenges you organized around, let's say, in engineering. So in engineering, we created a new school for sustainability in the built environment engineering. Right. We created another school on bio and health systems engineering, where it's not about biomechanical or biomedical engineering. It's about the health system and the social impact of the health system. And that means then attracting students to that program who are working on everything from tissue engineering to biomedical informatics to uh, social systems designs and so forth. Our, our new school of um, uh, innovation and the future of society is a school designed to help to build engineers, scientists, technologists, and humanists and others who are thinking about how to build responsible innovations. That's a whole new way of thinking. Right. So I know you well enough to know that you're, you're not constrained by what I'll call existing structures. Uh, but the people who will tell you, as they tell me about some of the things we do, well, you could do that, but it's not rep you can't be reproduced. Uh, and they'll always give examples such as uh, the regulatory environment. So, what? How did the accreditors respond to you reorganizing engineering? You know, what was so our so we so one we have a full ABET accreditation right. across all of our programs. We have the first online undergraduate degrees in engineering, all fully ABET accredited. Our Higher Learning Commission accreditors for the uh, university as a whole. Uh, we went through our last 10-year accreditation without a single correction or edit. Uh, most of that is um, bureaucratic rhetoric uh, right. being being espoused by people who either don't know any better for whatever reason or who want to maintain the status quo and use that as a method to maintain the status quo. Status quo is really important, uh, you know, uh, yeah. on many things. The core of the core of the core needs to be the need be the same, you know. 
reasoned discourse, open discourse, you know, all the features of the, of the Greek academies that, you know, led to the way that knowledge is created. After that, I think that it's an error for every university to be the same. Yeah, I, I think homogeneity is not the strength of higher education. Right. In fact, the, the U.S. higher education system, per se, uh, not that it's a, it was never designed as a system, the heterogeneity is one of its great strengths. Right. There's, an, there's an institution and a place for everyone. Of course, um, the way you're going, that, that one place will be ASU for everyone. <laughs> uh, not for everyone. Not for, <laughs> well, it's you, a big you, country. But you, you mentioned online, and so, you know, you engineer, undergraduate engineering online. Uh, how big is online at ASU today? So in the fall semester opening in August next month, uh, we'll have 51,000 degree-seeking students in 200-plus degree programs, all of whom were qualified to come to the university. Uh, we'll have thousands of students on what we call our pathway program, earning their way into the university. And we'll have hundreds of thousands of learners taking at least uh, or engaged in some kind of learning activity online uh, from 195 countries. And that's, is that basically on the edX platform? The um, uh, part of it's on edX, part of it's on Coursera, and all of our degree programs are on our own on your own our own platform. So you're now over a couple hundred uh, programs online. How many years did that take to build? You know, I, we built 50 degree programs this year, mm -hmm. just to give you some sense of the momentum. I'd say that that was a eight year effort. Mm -hmm. And I know you like to go big, but sort of how did you scale? So we started, we started by just seed funding faculty members to do courses. Uh, we started by building programs for our on-campus activities that were very powerful and worked right. uh, very significantly. Uh, and then we got a little bit of momentum. Then we decided to invest more internal investment capital. Right. And then we began accelerating quickly. So we usually start with pilot projects then a single problem that we're trying to solve, mm -hmm. then several problems that we're trying to solve, then once we see that that works, then we go big. That, I, I love that because it's, you know, it's similar to the Georgia State approach, pilot projects, mm -hmm. which I, I don't think we see enough of in higher education, people doing experiments. Yeah. You know, we, we, we preach it, literally preach it, right. in, you know, in all the intro science courses, the scientific mm -hmm. method, but it doesn't seem to be our business model. Our well, cons conservers, model. that is conserver bureaucracies, mm -hmm. using bureaucracy as an organizational form, mm -hmm. not as a pejorative term, uh, conserver bureaucracies, they don't like pilot projects. Uh, they don't like technology because because it means changing what they're presently doing. And you guys have certainly changed. So from that online platform that you've built, you've had, um, I'll go through at least three major um, spinoffs, one mm -hmm. being your relationship with Starbucks. Mm -hmm. So first, could you describe what that relationship is? So Starbucks, basically a modern, conscious, capitalist corporation, which is looking to value human capital as much as they value financial capital, mm -hmm. as much as they value technology. In that, then, they wanted every employee to have health care benefits. They wanted every employee to own the comp own part of the company. And they wanted every employee to be able to develop themselves. And so mm -hmm. we said, okay. We started working with them, and then we built a thing called the College Achievement Program. That was our first program. We've had 3,000 graduates from that program. We have uh, 8,000 students in that program, 9,000 students in that program learning right now. Mm -hmm. Then they said, what about for the kids and the students and others who are not uh, qualified to go to the university? So then we built the College Pathways program. Then they uh, said, so that relationship's then gone on to now the building of the Starbucks Global Learning Academy, which is a learning asset uh, being deployed in, in Canada, in India, in the UK, and ultimately in China. Then we built um, a certificate in um, sustainability, which thousands have taken. 
And then now we've also built other kinds of learning assets for Starbucks. And now we've gotten involved in substantial research projects with Starbucks. So the relationship has become a, a comprehensive relationship with a company that we can talk to and work with because they value human capital the right. same that we do. So we, we, and just to be clear, this is available to Starbucks employees worldwide or will be? So it is right now in the U.S., and then we just recently got approval to go into Europe, uh, North Africa, okay. and the Middle East. Okay. And hopefully into Asia someday? Well, that's what the pilot program around the okay. Learning Academy, yes. Okay. And speaking global, Global Freshman Academy, another uh, piece of your online offering. Right. So that is uh, what we basically said, can we put a great curriculum for the freshman year of college, make it freely available to everyone, uh, uh, including adaptive learning platforms for math and science, uh, great astronomy courses, great uh, English courses, great humanities courses. Uh, can you make it freely available? Anyone can take it. Uh, and then you can get a grade uh, so you know how you've done. And then if you get an A or a B and you want to buy the credits from ASU, then you purchase the credits at that right. time. Yeah, and I think that's, that is in partnership with the edX platform. Yes. Mm -hmm. And as I understand it, even from your materials, you know, you basically tell students that you earn the credits, and if you want to bring them to Arizona State, that's fine, but you can take them to other universities right. that will accept them as well because they're Arizona State credits. And every, every, we've never met a university that doesn't take right. our credits. Okay. And then most recently in this space, Instride. It's your latest. Well, so Instride's in, in more, a little more complicated. So okay. Instride, we found a, uh, a social impact investment fund called the RISE Fund, which is a $2 billion fund out of Silicon Valley. Uh, Bono is an investor in that. Uh, Lorene Powell Jobs is an investor mm -hmm. in that. Reed Hoffman, the founder of uh, LinkedIn, is an investor in that fund. That fund came together where the investors are looking for financial return and tremendous social return, social mm -hmm. impact, measured social impact. And so we negotiated an investment with them to raise capital to do something that we can't raise capital for, mm -hmm. which is to mount up uh, focused efforts to take content to corporations uh, in elaborate uh, boundary-spanning mechanisms where, where, where the corporation and the university, you know, we can manage the Starbucks relationship. Mm -hmm. We can manage a few of those. We can't manage a hundred of those. Right. And so Instride is a company then that will bring in different universities' content, build the relationships with these uh, companies for their employees' education, and then bring all of that together as a boundary-spanner. Okay. So Amazon recently announced they're going to invest massively in the education of their employees. So you're looking at being able to do that in partnership with perhaps Amazon, but certainly other companies. Yes, we just, uh, Instride just uh, uh, is signing up uh, a number of companies right now. ASU had previously signed up uh, Uber uh, and Adidas. Uh, and so we're looking at uh, that growing and expanding in a way in which um, if you want to get additional education when you're working, there will be a way to do that. If you weren't able to finish college, which is the majority of people that went to college, and you're working, there will be a way to do that. And so what we're, what we're playing to is the, is the whole future of learning. A right. few people will be able to go to college at 17 or 18. Most people won't. Right. A few people will be able to uh, go back to graduate school. Most people, the vast majority of people, don't. Mm -hmm. But if you still want to keep learning, how do you do this? Well, if you can hook that up with work, that will be a good pathway. Now, as you look out into the future, you know, there's a lot of talk these days about stackable credentials mm -hmm. and uh, various skills that people will um, obtain through a, some online platform, uh, you know, perhaps Arizona State, mm -hmm. perhaps uh, developed by a corporate entity, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so you've got certificates, you've got degrees. 
as you look out to the future, what do you see as the higher education landscape for how people are going to acquire components and basically, you know, build their education? Because you know, everybody's talking about it being different, but how do you see it being different? Yeah, we need, we need significant interoperability. I mean, if we don't build interoperability, we're making a mistake. Now, universities and colleges, well, we produce certain types of certificates, certain types of degrees. Others produce uh, other types of certificates and other types of degrees. There may be some compatibility between those. There certainly needs to be awareness of those. Mm -hmm. um, I'm all in for a blockchain kind of approach where everybody has a single student ID number yep. and everything you've ever done and every course you've ever taken and is all connected in somehow. Uh, and then from that, then, you can use that information as you wish. If we could do that for our education and our health care, we'd be set. <laughs> it, would, it would help us immensely. But everybody gets this. They say, well, that's all big brother and big this and big that. I'm like, no, you're in charge of it. It's your data. You own it. You own it. It's yeah. your data. It's your information. Right. right now, somebody else has it in chunks. Yes, exactly. Okay. So, as you know, as you talk and as you've been working 17 years, uh, Arizona State building this out obviously scales an important factor of the way you think and right. the way, way you operate. So, you know, another criticism of, you know, moving to online platforms is it's impersonal. The students don't get to know instructors. It's, it's an inferior education. I've actually been out to your place. I've, I've been there to yeah. see how you guys do this. So I know that's not the case, uh, that you're, you're actually providing perhaps more um, individual support for students online than in your face-to-face -face classes in some ways. Well, we have student success coaches that work with our online students. We have uh, students that then interact with each other, both mm -hmm. visually and in, in video formats. We've got unbelievable interaction. We, we think that that is basically the fallacy of the ignorant. Right. So the people that say that would be people that have never taken an online class, don't know anything about online classes, and speculate what the world would be in a world that they've never experienced. Exactly. And so often those people are somewhere between clueless and um, worse. Uh, and so I won't say what worse is. And so, <laughs> and so, so uh, we just put together a video and we could attach it to this uh, podcast where we went out and interviewed uh, a couple dozen of the students that have come back to take mm -hmm. our online biochemistry degree. Now, to do the online biochemistry degree, we decided that there was a week of intensive laboratory work you had to come to campus right. to do, because there's no other way to do it. It turns out now, here's what we've learned, that week of online campus, on uh, campus. I mean, on-campus uh, learning for, for lab work is probably superior to the taking it once a week for 15 weeks mm -hmm. for a particular uh, course. And so, we're getting tremendous outcomes from that. But then we interviewed all these people because we heard from people, right. well, people aren't connected, people aren't linked, right. all false. The other thing that they're forgetting is who these people are. So they're firefighters and nurses, nurses and soldiers and sailors and, and uh, people in the Air Force and they're running things and they're EMTs mm -hmm. and they're connected to everybody, but they don't have a biochemistry degree and they want one. Right. And they need one. And they need yeah. one. And so what we figured out is how to take a fully capable adult and link them into a program like this, where they, they then begin learning together and interacting with together. And so what we're dealing with is basically, literally, I don't know why educated people can be selectively ignorant, mm -hmm. but we're dealing with selectively ignorant individuals who don't know anything about what they're talking about. We're finding that our online graduates are doing fantastic. And I think the connectivity, it's a you know, theme that um, also heard from our colleagues at Georgia Tech with their online master's of computer science that even if the students never come to Georgia Tech's campus to take a class, they show up for graduation. Yes. Because they're fully immersed in that educational experience and this community of students that they've been uh, working with, talking with, solving problems, you know, 
uh, brainstorming. Well, 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 we have online students. I, I ran into one the other day. She she just took a Teach for America post. Mm -hmm. You know, I uh, I uh, we just had an online engineering an all online team uh, win a national engineering contest for the senior year construction in in uh, electrical engineering. Uh, we've got people that are they they they're self motivated. They're connecting with yep. each other, and then we've built the platform to be able to do that. In the humanities classes, the students are intensely involved in critiquing each other's work in ways that on-campus students are less uh, involved. And in the case of our digital photography work, uh, those courses, they say, some people are saying, are actually better than anything we've ever done on campus because of the way that a person can not only give a comment, but they can actually show you how they would have altered the lighting for the photo to produce a different outcome. Really cool. Okay. Well, you know, critics of the online world or, you know, likewise critics of some of the work we've done with big data and analytics mm -hmm. has been, yeah, but you're big and, you know, we're, other institutions, we're small. How, as, as you go to scale and as you think about, you know, the, the three acts that playing through um, the Arizona State story, how important is scale to being able to reach students that basically higher education is left behind in well, much of the past. Well, unless we are deciding to build about a thousand new public colleges and universities, which we're not. It's not going to happen. Uh, we no. better figure out how to scale. And then unless we're deciding to take the 30 million plus people that have went to college and didn't finish and say, well, too bad for you mm -hmm. uh, as the economy uh, moves to, to adjust and so forth, unless we're willing to do that and we're not, the publics, particularly the big publics, have got to step up. Right. Uh, and they've got to step up at scale. And that doesn't mean that they're better or more important. It means that's our mission. That's our particular assignment. It's also, I think, it, with scale, you, you have the investment capital to be able to do larger pilots, to be, mm -hmm. take on larger projects, to be able to scale your online learning to hundreds of degrees and yeah. ser serve a broader um, spectrum of uh, learners who have been otherwise left out. And, and, and build these adaptive learning platforms. So the other thing that we found with these adaptive learning platforms, this is a, adaptive learning is where the system that, that you're in, the pedagogical right. course that you're taking, the pedagogical design of the course that you're taking, teaches you what you don't know to be successful in the course, no matter how far it has to take you back, right. yep. including all the way back to third grade arithmetic, if that's what's necessary. Yep. Because in the third grade, you weren't paying attention. Yeah, uh, and so, <laughs> so now they're going to get you to pay attention. Well, this is all part of the dawn of um, AI or artificial intelligence, right. where you know, as, as the software learns, it learns what you don't understand, and right. it takes you back to, to learn it yourself. I was trying to figure out how to get spitballs in the form of a letter on the blackboard with another kid in the third grade that the teacher couldn't see. <laughs> Did you figure it out? We got the letter uh, X on the wall before we got caught. Okay. <laughs> so you've been a disruptor your whole life. Well, spitballs are, are kind of fun. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> kids now probably don't even know what spitballs are. Yeah, I, I had some experiences with spitballs and algebra, as I recall. <laughs> you have to do something when you're bored. Yeah. Well, um, you know, you've been you've been named uh, through various sources, many sources, one of the most innovative presidents in the U.S., uh, one of the most innovative people in all of higher education. Uh, but when Michael Crow talks about innovation, and, and it's something you do a lot, how do you define innovation? What's, what does innovation mean to you? So innovation means basically altering the design. So, so um, I think Steve Jobs was a big design-oriented person relative to the object that he was producing. But the object that he was producing, he was attempting to change the actual design of society right. by creating the objects that he ultimately sold. And so innovation is, is functionally changing how you do something, mm -hmm. uh, including so innovative with the structure of the organization, the purpose of the organization, the, the way in which humans interact within the organization, as well as tools, as well as technology, as well as goal setting, all those things are about innovation. So it's not just 
uh, a gizmo or a, or a machine. Yeah, it can be organizational structure. It can be yeah. process. Fact, it has or, to be. Or in, the elimination of process. In our case, it has to be all those things. Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of the things I think is most interesting what we're seeing right now, at least um, here at Georgia State, and I know with Arizona State and some other institutions, is literally reorganizing or redesigning the institutions from the inside out because the old structure doesn't serve the modern university and particularly the opportunities we right. have in the future. Right. Um, so when you look out in your crystal ball 10 years from now, <laughs> 20 years from now, uh, what do you see different about Arizona State? You know, I, I would hope that in the 10 to 20 year time frame, we will have proven the point that a world-class research university can be accessible for any kid who works hard in high school and gets at least a B average mm -hmm. moving forward, and that that same institution can reach out and touch the lives of anyone that wants to be connected to it from a learning enhancement mm -hmm. or learning outcome perspective, meaning it is a true people's university right. uh, and and most public universities as you know most public research universities like the ones you know we went to graduate school and attended and so forth you know along the way they decided that their best pathway for them was to narrow their focus mm -hmm. and enhance the output of their faculty I'd like to enhance the output of the faculty and broaden the focus yep. if we had in our country 10 or 15 universities operating at that scale I think that we could leverage technologies in a way and leverage learning in a way where we could take all of the other colleges and universities that we have and augment them. So each evolutionary step in American higher education has been an augmentation on the previous step. Right. So the uh, land-grant colleges and universities in the last half of the 19th century that got stood up, that was an unbelievable egalitarian step. Right. It was insufficient. So a guy like Mitch Daniels at Purdue says, I'm going to take Purdue as a land-grant university, and I'm going to make it not a place where you have to come to West Lafayette. I'm going to make it a place where you come to West Lafayette if you can. But if you can't, we're going to be able to reach out to you everywhere. Right. And so it's that, it's that kind of thing that we need. 10, 15 universities? Do you, don't, you, see, you see higher education, well, put this in layers, you see parts of it going away, parts of it staying the same? You know, things always go away when they are badly governed and don't change their design uh, in some way unless their design is perfected for a narrow niche. Mm -hmm. You know, so there are fabulous wines that have been produced the same way for hundreds of years. Okay, well, that's great. But you don't produce very many of those. And, and uh, certainly no more than before. Right. Uh, and, so, and so do I see things? I see institutions merging. You've been through that. We've mm -hmm. been through that. Uh, merging's hard. Uh, I see acquisitions. I see some not making it. But... Each sector, the what I call the Amer the Greek academies, the four-year liberal arts colleges, mm -hmm. most of them will make it and most of them will prosper. The public colleges and universities are probably the most at risk. That is the non-research-oriented yeah, ones. Especially the ones in rural areas with declining populations. Yeah, so they're, they're the ones that are going to have to figure out how to network and align and yeah. come together. The land grants the, that are not research-intensive uh, are going to be fine because of their special mission. Mm -hmm. The research universities... Uh, which you're, you're, you, we're both in that yep. same category now. We're both, you know, what I call wave four research universities. Um, and then we're both emerging into wave five national service universities. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, research universities will be, will be fine. So there'll be some on the margin changes. Mm -hmm. uh, but what we do have to figure out is how to change um, uh, the logic of what a university is because everybody thinks everything has to be either Harvard or Michigan, or Berkeley, or Princeton, and it just doesn't. 
I, I get the opposite question, which is how we make, how do we make those universities be like us? And my answer is we don't all have to be the same. No, in fact, you don't want to be the same. In fact, we're we're working hard on a new, a whole new, realistic, data driven, mission driven reclassification right. system because the yeah. Carnegie system is uh, outdated. Yeah. Well, very good, well, Michael. It's been a real delight. We could go on for hours, but okay. but people only have. 10 to 20 minute attention yes. spans. These I days. listen to podcasts when I'm hiking, so they're very good. <laughs> well, thank you so much <laughs> for right, being thanks, with me. Well, this has been Conversations with Mark Becker, a podcast produced by Georgia State University. And you've been listening to a conversation with Dr. Michael Crow, the president of Arizona State University. To hear future conversations with leaders who are shaping the future of higher education, you will find conversations with Mark Becker on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play, as well as viewable on YouTube. Thank you for listening, and remember to subscribe so that you will not miss future episodes. Bye.